Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we again come before you beginning a new week, uh, remembering that we belong to you and that you have called us to live in your presence and to live with one another and to do so in a certain way, to live in loving communion with you and with one another. And yet, Lord, we find that challenging and difficult and sometimes seemingly impossible. So we pray for your help. Help us to understand your calling, uh, what you've given us to do, and help us, Lord, to be focused on doing those things that you've given us, because in that way, we know that we find genuine fulfillment and happiness and joy. And when we go in a new direction, we go our own way, it always ends up in misery. So help us as husbands and wives, fathers and mothers and children, to especially live before you and our families, to be conscious of the tasks that you set before us to fill the earth with God-glorifiers, starting with us. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our third in the series on how to love your family. And last week I talked about husbands. And so you can guess what's coming next is wives. Uh, We're going to look at that today and probably begin to look at fathers and mothers as well. I want to read just uh, a classic passage here, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. There's probably not a passage in Scripture that is more unnerving to our modern sensibilities than this particular passage. A passage that I think is misunderstood and misapplied in both directions. Uh, But we want to not be ashamed of any portion of God's Word. We want to embrace it fully, which means we have to understand it first. And, uh, and apply it the way God says to do so. That is the way of true happiness, of true joy. And so, in the wedding ceremony, modern people, even Christians, cringe over these words. But the context is always with a sacrificial and loving husband. Husband and wife are called to dance this Loving communion, and, and the dance, uh, dancing involves somebody leading and somebody following that lead, but together there's harmony and beauty and, and delight. And so the beauty of a godly wife, the scriptures tell us, is really nearly beyond description. The Bible says that she is precious in the sight of God and a blessing to all those who are around her, especially to her household. She's vital to the success of the household. She often possesses superior qualities, superior attributes, such as her intellect, her charm, her wit, her artistic abilities, various things that uh, God's gifted her with. She is full of kindness and grace. Moreover, the godly woman is skilled at many tasks, Uh, that that make her an object of admiration of all those who admire the fruit of her hands. Indeed, as the Proverbs declare, her price 
is far above rubies, and her own works will praise her in the gates. Remember, her works, uh, a, a godly wife uh, is a blessing to the husband who is in the gates. That's a picture of leadership in the community. But what everyone knows about that husband is that in order for him to be sitting in the gates, uh, behind him, around him, near him, is a woman who is also praised in the gates. That's probably because her husband is praising her in the gates where he is. And so uh, that brings us to this idea that is so despised. And if you think about it, it's really this really began in the garden. Uh, we really don't like the notion of submission. Submission. It sounds so oppressive and so terrible that someone, that someone else, including God, would tell me what to do and that I couldn't do every single thing I want to do when I want to do it and make all those decisions independent of God, independent of anyone else. That's the way of true happiness, right? Complete freedom to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Just ask a child, right? Turn them loose and say, you can do whatever you want. No one's going to restrain you. No one's going to tell you no. You're never going to have to cry. You're never going to be unhappy. You're never going to do without. You can always have whatever you want, whenever you want it. That's the way of happiness. Wrong. The way of happiness is by way of discipline. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but painful, but in the end it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What is that worth? The satisfaction of pleasing God. The satisfaction of not just pleasing God, but having God's blessing as a result of having followed him and done what he says, and hearing, hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. To have him bless the labor of your hands, instead of you having to swim upstream all the time. And so, submission means coming under the mission. As we discuss the position of wives in the household, it's important that we remember that women are not, as a gender, ontologically, that is, as beings, they are not inferior to men. That is, they are not inferior persons. Even in the husband-wife relationship, uh, that's the case. Individual men and women may be inferior or superior at various points in their personal attributes, as we've mentioned, but as persons, as human beings, there is no distinction between male or female. In Christ, no distinction between male or female. The distinction being drawn in God's Word is, is between the positions held by men and women in their covenantal relationships within the household. So one important note, I think, is to understand that all women are not under the authority of all men. That's just not what's taught in Scripture. Men are given certain roles in the world and in the family in particular, but they are husbands of their wives, not husbands of other women. They're not the heads of other women. And so other women are not obligated to submit to those men. I usually tell couples that are dating or courting, uh, you understand that at that stage, uh, I say to the young woman, you're not under his authority. He, his job right now is to persuade you that he is respectable enough that you will willingly put yourself under his authority and that your father will agree to give you away to be in that situation 
because we respect him. He's demonstrated that, in fact, he is a sacrificing, loving man, not selfish, not self-centered. This is somebody you respect. That's the key element here that you look up to, that you willingly say, this is someone I'm ready to follow. The distinction then is, again, between positions. Children, for example, who possess superior attributes as persons must still submit to their parents. Um, what do you think? Mary, Mary and Joseph had Jesus, a superior person, and yet Jesus submitted to his parents because of the position that he occupied as an, as an inferior, as a child. And we understand that. That makes sense. And so you may have children that are smarter than you, more talented than you, all those things. But you should never allow that to put you in a position of being in subjection to them. Their, their position is that they still have an obligation to obey you, to honor you, to respect you, and to submit to you. Um, and so as economical inferiors to their husbands, remember I said ontologically as beings, husbands and wives are equals, men and women, uh, husbands and wives, but as in an economical sense, in terms of their positions, uh, the wife is inferior to the husband in that position, that is, she comes under his position, and wives likewise must fulfill their duties toward their husbands. Remember, the husband is an inferior to God in terms of his position, and he's accountable to God first and foremost, and therefore he has a duty toward God and a responsibility toward those who are under his care. And likewise for the wife. She has a duty to those who, to her superior, or superiors, and she has responsibility to those who are her inferiors. And so the duties wives owe to their husbands are the same duties that husbands owe to God, that is, honor and obedience. And when we get to children in a bit, we'll see that their, their duty is to honor and obey their parents because they're inferior in, the, in that position. The abuses of men and the distortions of feminism have often made men and women enemies instead of partners. Attempting, attempts at eliminating distinctions between the roles of men and women have harmed both genders because they have disregarded what God has established as the godly means of producing what? a loving communion, a happy home, productive homes. No one gains blessing by disobeying God. No one gains blessing that way. Husbands, as covenant heads, are responsible to carry out God's plan for the household, which is to accomplish the mission, which is to produce godly offspring. That mission includes affection and sacrifice and provision and protection and instruction, and discipline, and anything else that God requires that will ultimately produce a godly household and godly children. The wife is called to operate under that mission, submission. Her submission is to help him accomplish the mission. And so the two should work in harmony to the glory of God. As the, as the prophet Malachi said, referring to husbands and wives, but did he not make them one? having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, 
and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. And so there's mutual obligations. I think this is really, again, important. For one thing, I do think uh, in the church there has been, through the years, a distortion of this doctrine of headship that somehow being the head of the house is a chest-thumping, look at me, I'm the boss, do what I say, woman. Uh, That is absolutely contrary to what the Bible sets before us. The Bible itself contradicts that and says that's not true. Jesus is the model for a husband. And what is the model he sets? Do you see Jesus doing any of that? Look at me. Do this for me. You're, you're here to make me happy. What is Jesus doing? He's washing the feet of his disciples. He is instructing. He is teaching. He is encouraging. He's rebuking. He's leading. He's dying. He's giving himself. His whole life is focused on his bride, upon the church, and giving himself for her. That is the picture of manhood. That is the picture set before us, which then makes it a whole lot easier for a wife to submit, to willfully follow someone who's doing that, to say, I I joyfully come under this person because they love me. They're seeking my good. They're seeking the good of our family. They're, They're doing the things God said to do, and therefore I can imitate that. Now, respect, let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. And remember, these duties that God gives us in our respective roles are not conditional. It doesn't say, love your wife if she's lovable, respect your husband if he's respectable. You're to see to it that you respect your husband. And I'll just back up and say, all the more reason that you get it right before you get married, then you marry someone that's easy to respect. He'll be young probably and not, not all the way there, but you better have enough confidence that this person's heading in the right direction in following the Lord that you can say, I respect this person and I can, I can follow. If you can't say that then, you're probably not going to be saying it uh, a year from now or ten years from now, but your obligation will be the same. And likewise, in loving your wives... The husband's love for his wife and the wife's honor for her husband, then, is not optional. It's not predicated upon the action of their spouse. Men and women alike must submit to God's instruction if they are to know his blessing. And this is why, again, who you marry is so important. This is why parents who care about their children are very concerned about this. And sometimes there's conflict over these issues. Because we know, if we've lived long enough, that There are all kinds of marriages in the world, and some are wonderful and blissful, and others are disasters, and we don't want our children to be in one of those disasters. And so we have a great concern for that. A man should never marry an unlovable woman, and a woman should never marry a man she doesn't respect. So the the husband and the wife in loving communion are working in different ways uh, toward a common goal, toward that same mission. And so there is a division of labor, but a unity of purpose. And that division of labor may look different at your house than it does someone else's house. Uh, a lot of these notions of this is men's work and this is women's work, some of that I think is, is uh, biblical and rooted, for example, in Titus about 
The woman's focus is her domain, her household, and things related to that. Uh, we see in the Bible that Adam was created and he was taken to the garden. Eve was created and taken to Adam. And so that points in a direction of the primary responsibilities, but that doesn't mean there's never overlap. Because first of all, remember, husbands, you're responsible for all of it, uh, not just the part out there. You're responsible for what happens at home too. So yes, you can do the dishes and you can wash clothes and fold them. And uh, doesn't mean that's what you primarily do, but it's okay. It's not, uh, it's not degrading to your manhood. Uh, in fact, it's complementary to your manhood to humble yourself and let everybody see that you're not too good to do those common everyday tasks. Um, and likewise, it's, it's, there are times we see in the book of Proverbs where we have a woman that's obviously the model woman who's also bringing income in for the family. She has a business. She, she makes things and sells things, and she per, helps provide for the family in that way. She tends a garden, and she does all kinds of physical labor that's not just taking care of children and cooking meals and doing the laundry and that kind of stuff. So we need to understand this is a team effort with, with different emphases, but that there's plenty of overlap that should take place um, because the mission is the same. That's the issue. What do we need to do to get the mission accomplished? And sometimes that means stepping outside of our normal routines in order to get the mission accomplished. Um, so the question in regard to wives, uh, how does the church love Jesus? Remember, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, but the church is the bride. How does the church then love Jesus and respect Jesus? And um, that's the model for wives. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love is demonstrated in our attitude and our conduct, and so faith is going to have to have works to be alive or real, and love must also have obedience. If you say, I love you, but I don't ever do what you say, uh, we, don't, we can't say that, God, I love you, but I don't want to do anything you tell me to do. I'm going to be disobedient. Then obviously I don't love God. And so love and obedience are connected. A demonstration of, of that kind of love uh, honors God. Paul tells Titus in chapter 2 of Titus, but as for you, speak to things which are proper for sound doctrine that the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the Word of God may not be blasphemed. Again, that's... That's despicable language in our day. How dare God suggest such a thing? But I want to suggest that, again, in the context of a sacrificing Christ-like husband, this is a sacrificing church-like wife, and together this bride and groom love each other, love their households, and have a place that they both are delighted to be in. When wives love their husbands in these ways, they show how God's people ought to relate to him. Remember, that's the point. If you have a wife that's disobedient and rebellious and always unhappy and discontent and complaining about her husband doesn't do enough for this or that and the other, 
Um, what does the world see? Titus, Paul said, the word of God is blasphemed. This is a Christian marriage. This is a Christian family. This is a Christian husband and wife. I don't want anything to do with that. Blasphemy means to speak ill of. So when people look at a home that's not in order, they go, that, why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want that? Remember that your home's to be a picture of the gospel. It's to be a picture of what? Loving communion. That's the gospel. Loving, sacrificing, giving, not selfish, not all about poor me, content, delighting in the good gifts that we have, looking at what you have and not focusing on what you don't have, but also husbands that are getting up every... You know, I, I was telling somebody last night, I, I, had a, I have a father who, uh, as long as I have known him, which is now 61 years plus, he's gotten up and gone to work every single day. And he's come home every single day. What's that worth? And he's loved my mother, and my mother's loved him. What is that worth to your children? For them to see that. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing dramatic. It's, it's just like the most valuable thing in the world, though. That's worth its weight in gold. And so, wives demonstrate their love in several ways. First, by bearing children. 1 Timothy 2.15, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Psalm 127, 3-5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Second, by helping raise those children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Women who habitually complain about taking care of their children, uh, I would suggest, have a rebellious heart. Believe me, you know I'm certainly aware, not, not, not as aware as all you mothers are, but uh, that... Raising children is the hardest job on earth. And yet that's what you're called to. And part of our jobs is not just doing our jobs, but getting happy in our jobs, being dedicated to our jobs, finding joy in those jobs. Raising children is supposed to be hard, and like all other hard work, it wears you out. It is not a sin to be tired at the end of the day. In fact, it might be a sin if you're not. Third, she loves her husband by wise home management. Now, if some of this is prickly uh, for husbands and wives, it's supposed to be. Remember, we're broken. Things, we are sinful. We're sinful husbands. We're sinful wives. We're not doing all this right. But we need to be reminded of what it is we're called to do and to work harder at it so that we can be happier. So it, it, it becomes less prickly when we hear it. The Word of God is supposed to wound, but then it heals. It says, I'm going to set this before you. You say, yeah, but I'm falling short of that, right? Now I'm going to give you what you need to grow. I'm going to give you my Word and my Spirit and my church. and I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you lots of opportunities to practice and fail and 
repent and be forgiven and start again and all of that. And so the wife's orientation is toward her family. I'm not going to take the time, well, maybe I will. I think I will read Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous wife? By the way, that's the goal, guys. Not just a wife, not just a pretty wife, a virtuous wife. Do you know what virtue is? Do you know what virtues you should be looking for? It's the virtuous wife that's described here. For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her, so he'll have no lack of gain. As I've often said, every great man I know, every great man I know looks up to his wife. He knows that he could not do near what he does without her. And so he admires her, he looks up to her. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Notice the attitudes. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She's a businesswoman here. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. I want you to notice what a an amazingly well-rounded person this is. She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. She works in a garden. She's using her mind. She's a businesswoman. She has people that she manages. She adorns her family. She cares about what they look like. She adorns herself. She cares about how she looks. And, and so she makes a tapestry for herself. Clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she, she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, like so many things in Scripture, we could do the same with husbands, we could do the same with uh, uh, Children, young men and young women, we could do this with a family, the church. The Bible gives us this ideal, this picture of the way it ought to be. Now, perhaps as you listen to that, you were in your mind checking off, yeah, that, that describes me, oops, that one didn't, um, that I'm not quite so good at that one. Okay, that means you've got some work to do, right? You've got some areas to grow and improve. Give thanks for the areas where you're doing well. Praise you. God bless you. 
uh, you're contributing to your household in that way. And then in these other areas, please take note of them and say, how can I... And remember, this is, this is set before us as a big picture thing, so you may not be a seamstress. You may find other ways to do what this woman is doing that are not exactly these... It's not to be interpreted in a wooden way, but in a general way, so that you are this person who's always expanding and growing in how... Notice what all these things do. This wife, this woman, is doing what? Contributing to the beauty of her household, either by providing uh, things and wealth and food or clothing, but also wisdom and kindness, and she is involved in the community, helping the poor. Uh, She's supportive of her husband. She is... And she's doing it from sunup to sundown. And past sundown, she has a candle. So she goes, she has long days. But she's happy. No wonder she's tired at the end of the day. Fourth, a wife loves her husband by being a godly companion, being his friend and being his lover. Man was lonely, so God made a woman and brought her to the man and said, Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. She should offer comfort and encouragement and affection. Like the bride in the Song of Solomon. If you haven't read the Song of Solomon in a while, men and women, husbands and wives, we urge you to do so. Beautiful love poem, erotic love poem at that. And so, like the bride in the Song of Solomon, her affection for her husband is to be unreserved and passionate. Far more than doing her wifely duty, God requires her to be sexually responsive to her husband. And and vice versa. That's not always easy. It takes work to do all these things. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-4 this mutual duty. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This protects the family from sexual immorality which is one of the great threats in our day. It happens all the time. Families are ripped apart over those kinds of things. It meets the legitimate needs of your spouse, which is always, always an expression of love. So remember, loving communion is always what we're working to achieve. That's the goal. That's the big picture. All these little pieces, all the details that we've talked about here, Uh, one way to look at it is that the husbands and wives are always making love, coming or going. Just like we are coming or going to the Lord's table. The bride and groom meet in intimacy to renew covenant. That's one of the pictures of the Lord's table. And so we're either getting ready to come to the table and thinking about making sure we're prepared to meet him here, in in this intimate relationship, or we're going away from it having been renewed. So we're either anticipating renewal or we're, uh, we're enjoying having just had the renewal 
and this cycle goes on constantly. And so that's the picture of husband and wife relationship. Um, And so the two primary images in the home of this loving communion are, as Robert Capon puts it, the two geographical centers of the home are the table and the bed. And, of course, the Lord's table is a picture of both of those. The picture of bride and groom, the picture of the family table, both of those are there. Of course, this love between husband and wife changes over time. Luther, Martin Luther said, the first love is drunken. When the intoxication wears off, then comes the real marriage love. Union of the flesh does nothing. There must also be union of manners and mind. I think I've shared this, but I saw a uh, deal on the news one time where they had done a study with a young couple. I've been married a year, and they didn't tell the young man what they were up to, but they hooked him up to, you know, uh, measured his heart rate and his temperature and um, I don't know what else, but... Um, He's, he's wired, and he's sitting on the sofa in his house, and they're just uh, interviewing him. And in walks his wife and sits down next to him. And his heart rate goes up just a little bit, his temperature a little bit. So he's, he's a little thrilled that she sat down next to him. They did the same thing with a couple that had been married about 35 years but had a very good marriage. And they had him hooked up, and his wife came and sat down, and this time his heart rate went down and his temperature went down a little bit. And they just made the observation that mature love looks different than young love. They're both expressions of love. Now his wife's presence was one that brought calm and peace and uh, assurance in a way that was a little different than the way it was after the first year. That's normal. That's Our lives change and, and grow and mature as we move along, and so it's going to look a little different. Uh, we, we can watch uh, older couples. Uh, as, as we watch older couples, uh, their expressions of love look different. But remember, the commitment in the covenant, this covenant of loving communion, is rich or poor, better or worse, sickness and in health. Um, I may have mentioned this recently, I think I did, uh, but I'll say it again about uh, listening to a podcast with Victoria Jackson, who's uh, a comedian that used to be on Saturday Night Live, but she's an outspoken Christian, and recently, within the last year or so, was diagnosed with cancer, uh, had a double mastectomy, and she's being interviewed by um, uh, Metaxas, um, and she just made the comment, she said, I needed a husband that would love me when I aged out. That was, that was her term. <laughs> but she said, I needed a husband that would love me when my hair fell out and when I couldn't function. And she said, I have one. And uh, I thought that was a powerful testimony that she was giving not only about herself, but about her husband and about her marriage and her family and the commitment she had made as a young woman who had other options but chose these options. Um, So, uh, in fact, uh, that was in the context of her talking about uh, she had met Donald Trump when she was single and had done a photo shoot with her and him, and he was 
I guess, between wives at, the point, at that point and had complimented her beauty. And Metaxas asked her, well, did you think about marrying him? And she said, no, he's not a Christian. I couldn't marry him. Besides, he'd already gotten rid of me. So uh, a lot of truth to that. Well, um, we're going to turn to talk about parents and children. Let me see where we are. Well, we're not. We're going to stop there, actually. Um, and uh, we will take up parents and children next time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that directs us and instructs us, and even though the world often misunderstands and mocks your word and disregards it, help us not to. Help us to love it and embrace it and know that by following you, by listening and understanding and applying your word in our respective roles, that that's the way of true happiness. We'll never be happy as a husband or a wife, as long as we're trying to do it our way. But we find true comfort and joy and peace when we submit to you and follow you and that we all labor together for a loving communion. Help us to show the world the gospel, that the word and the gospel might not be blasphemed because of us. Bless us now, we pray, as we prepare for worship in Christ's name. Amen.